This morning's reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Then I looked again at vanity under the sun. There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother. Yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, And for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This, too, is vanity, and it is a grievous task. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will, be lift, will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Good morning. I am so excited. In 10 days, we'll all be hearing about Valentine's Day. Uh, wait a minute. I think we've been hearing about Valentine's Day since Christmas. Valentine's Day ads, Valentine's Day commercials, Valentine's Day everything. Even our newspapers, their ads are about Valentine's Day. You get Valentine cake, stuffed bears with hearts, all sorts of aisles have filled the store with something for that special someone. A day that's supposed to be a day when you celebrate with your loved one, some of us. It's a day that profoundly reminds us how alone we are. If I were to ask you, who do you think is lonely? I think most of you would respond with widows. Oh, the elderly living alone. Our college students. Young single adults. Most of the time, the answer is other people. Other people are lonely. I'm not lonely. Multitude of friends I have. I have church friends. I have work friends. I have neighborhood friends. But if you think about what loneliness really is, you'd realize that most of us can feel lonely at any time. Have you ever been surrounded by a large group of people but still felt alone? Have you attended a party but sat all alone in the sidelines? waiting for somebody to come up and talk to you. Maybe the person sitting across the room from you right now feels lonely, but says nothing. They just come in, do their thing, and then leave Sunday, longing for someone, someone, just anyone, to come up and talk to them. Loneliness is not about if we're married who we're married to. It's not about our job description. It's not about where we work. It's not about what we're doing. Loneliness is about relationships. Far too often, society's response to someone's loneliness is a simple and abrupt comment, such as, deal with it. Get over it. Stop being so selfish. Well, you would just get out and talk to people. But that's not what it's about. Even in churches, you can hear someone say, you just need to get right with God. If you had more faith, you wouldn't feel that way. Get right with God, you'll be fine. Or suck it up, it's your own fault. If you would just connect with people here at church, you wouldn't feel lonely. 
That's not what loneliness is about, people. Loneliness is the painful awareness that we lack close and meaningful contact with others. Even when we're surrounded by others, lonely people can feel left rejected, sad, even fear, fear of saying the wrong thing, being misunderstood. Loneliness is about not feeling safe with others, not feeling cared about. Loneliness, loneliness leads to no value, no worth in your own mind. Sounds pretty bleak, doesn't it? Loneliness is a deep abyss. It's a pit that we can all easily fall into. But beloved, there is hope. Biblically, God did not plan for us to be alone. In Genesis 2.18, God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. David was surrounded by a multitude of followers, people who adored him, hung on his every word. Yet in Psalm 22.1, David writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? In Matthew 27.6, at the nine o'clock hour, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus felt loneliness at times. Jesus' supreme rejection and loneliness, which makes him perfectly suited to understand our feelings of loneliness. As a counselor, I can tell you the overwhelming feelings of isolation, despair, and loneliness start around Thanksgiving. And it runs rampant through Christmas. Then it subsides a little bit. And then by Valentine's Day, it's full-blown again. Because people feel alone. I can tell you more times than not, Tom and Patty can attest to it. I'm sitting there from Thanksgiving anywhere to, to Valentine's Day. I'm sitting out on my back porch talking to somebody that is called because they can't stand the loneliness. They can't bear feeling alone. Loneliness does not depend on how many friends or relationships you have. Loneliness depends entirely on whether you feel emotionally and socially connected to one another. Loneliness distorts our perceptions. If you're having a great day and you're not feeling lonely, everything in the world feels brighter. But when you're having a really lonely, sad day, everything looks bleak, everything looks dark, everything looks sad, and those feelings just get internalized more and more. So busy that we tend to feel disconnected. We live disconnected. Recently, I had a client. I'm going to call her Becky. That's not her real name. She was suffering from loneliness, total despair, and total emptiness. She could see no way out. She could only feel the desperation of emptiness. The loneliness overwhelmed her. She couldn't see that there were people that loved her, that relied on her, that needed her. She could only feel empty. 
didn't matter how much I counseled her. It did not matter what I said to her. did not matter what her kids said to her. did not matter what her friends said to her. All she could hear was her loneliness screaming inside her head about her not having any value, not having any worth. We were actually at a meeting one day, and Becky called me. She had taken her own life. She took pills that morning an hour before she called me so that I couldn't help her. She passed away an hour after I got there. It saddens me because she couldn't see her value. Didn't matter what I said to her. It didn't matter what medication she was on. It didn't matter what anybody else in the world said to her. She just couldn't get out of that pit that she was in that felt all alone. Now her son and her daughter and her friends are dealing with that same pit of emptiness and loneliness because she couldn't see past it. According to Newsweek, there are more than 300 million of us in the United States And sometimes it feels like we're all friends. We're friends on Facebook. We're friends everywhere. But the sad truth is, Americans are lonelier than ever. In 1985 and 2004, the number of people who said there was no one with whom they discussed important matters tripled to 25%. According to Duke University researchers, those numbers are escalating at a rate that we can't even understand. That's about 75 million people that feel like Becky, alone, isolated, and desperate. We act as though we're all connecting. We're friends on Facebook. Social media is running rampant in our life. We have Twitter, Instagram. I had to write them down because I don't know half of them. But Pinterest, Snapchat, Skype, text messages. There's a ton of ways to connect with one another. But through social media connections, we're more disconnected than ever. Years ago, when new neighbors moved in, what did we do? We brought over a dish. We gave them a hug. We welcomed them. We brought them flowers, a gift, something to say. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. I can't wait to get to know you. We'd invite them to our homes. We'd invite them over for dinner. We don't do that now. Men used to shake each other's hands. Women used to hug each other. They'd see each other in the store. Now they don't. Now they just, hey, I saw you in the store. Text each other. We've lost that connection, people. We've stopped being relational. Now we're just informational. Have you ever gone out to lunch or dinner and sat down and watched? There can be six people sitting at a table. All six of them have phones in their hands. Some of them are talking to the people at the table on text messages. How absurd is that? We no longer talk face-to-face. We no longer look each other in the eye. We now look each other on the phone. That's sad. That's what we do. We no longer look each other in the eye. We look each other on the phone. We look like this. We have our little spectacles on. And that's what we see. 
Now, we have valid reasons. Sometimes we call them excuses, but we have valid reasons why we don't reach out to one another. I'm so busy. I have not, there are not enough hours in my day, not enough days in the week. Oh, what if they don't like me? What if I say something wrong? Is the world going to end if you say something wrong? No. But the list in our overwhelms the passion in our hearts. So by now, with being a it's really me. <laughs> what does this have to do with being a good neighbor? We, as members of the body of Christ, need to connect with others. We need to connect with our friends. We need to connect with our families. And we need to connect with our neighbors and our communities. We've got to stop the cycle of loneliness. So let's look at how God gives us guidance to be a good neighbor or a friend. Have you ever walked into a room and felt an instant connection with someone? You just feel lighter because they're around. In the Bible, we see that kind of friendship between David, a lowly shepherd boy, and Jonathan, the king's son. They're certainly an unlikely pair. But immediately they felt a connection, a kindred spirit, so to speak. In 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 3, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. David and Jonathan had an immediate connection. They hit it off right away. But having an immediate connection is not the only thing they had to build that lasting relationship. You have to have some common ground. David and Jonathan had several things in common. They were both Jews, and they were both soldiers. But what really, really bonded them together was their deep love and their commitment to follow and serve God. Their friendship lasted even through the struggles and ultimately even after Jonathan's death. The quality of your friendships will determine what holds them together. In Ecclesiastes 12, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together keep each other warm. But how can one warm themselves alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braid cord is not easily broken. The quality of your friendships is determined by your ability to accept others just as they are unconditional love. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Again, unconditional love. 1 Samuel 16, 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him for God sees not as man sees for man looks at outward appearance but the Lord looks at your heart. 
Romans 15, 7, 7 says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. It wasn't long ago Robert came into our church. I'm sure most of you remember Robert. He walked in with his grocery cart. He looked a little disheveled. He smelled a little rank. But he came up, walked in, sat down. Did you recoil with disgust when he first walked in? Did you say to yourself, he's smelly, he's dirty and obviously homeless. What's he doing here? Or did you embrace him? Smells, dirt, outbursts and all. I can tell you that we as a church embraced him. We loved him just as he is, just as he was. It didn't matter to us that he was a little rank in his aroma. It didn't matter that he was not the cleanest man on the face of the earth. And it didn't matter that he had a shopping cart full of what we saw as junk. But to him were treasures. That's how he fills his alone time, with treasures. Because I guarantee you he feels alone. I can tell you that others, not in our church, but there were others that recoiled at the sight of him and tried in earnest to get him to go away. What are you doing here? They made him feel alone. Now, he hasn't been back since. Maybe he just wasn't meant to come back. Maybe he was sent to test us to see if we're really living out our message, our vision, to see if we can really love in ways that matter. We may never know why he stopped by that day, but I don't think it really matters why. All that matters is we loved him right where he is at, despite his outward appearance. didn't matter to any of us. Beloved, we must be real. We must be authentic. We must be followers of Christ. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. We are all sinners. We all have faults. We all have frailties. We all have sin in our lives. We need to remember that a friendship is not based on what they can do for me, but what I can do for them. Can I elevate them? Can I encourage them? Can I uplift? Can I love them through the struggles? Can I love them through the trials? When your focus is on what can I do to help them through the struggle, then you're living out God's command to love one another, love your neighbor as yourself. James 2.8 tells us, love your neighbor as yourself. When we put our focus on them, what we can do for them instead of what can they do for me, it changes not only our lives, but their lives. Thursday night, I had a credentialing class. We had an extra minutes. It was the end of our class. We're done. We were given direction to say something nice to each other something to encourage each other. So each of us took turns telling what others, each other, what we see in their lives, what we see in them that they might not necessarily see in themselves. 
Now, this is a class, mind you, that when that clock struck nine, everybody's, oh, got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go. They were anxious to get out of there. This time, we stayed past the 20 minutes. We stayed past the nine o'clock time. By the end of the class, we were all crying. Not because anybody said anything hurtful or hateful, but because people see in us things we don't see in ourselves. And when we hear what they see, it encourages us. It reminds us that we're not alone. It reminds us that we have brothers and sisters that are watching us, that are helping us, that are praying for us. It's funny, one of the people that I didn't think I'd ever bond with, she and I have talked a lot now. A lot. In fact, she said, I found my tribe. I'm part of her tribe. I'm part of her family. And she's part of mine because we have two major foundational beliefs that are the same. We love God with all our heart. And we're both becoming pastors of the church of God. That's exciting. And we're there to encourage and we're there to hold each other accountable. Now, there's five others that are in it with us, but boy, she and I bonded And she and I both laughed because neither of us thought we could ever be friends. But we've become friends. There's so many differences, but there's so many things that bring us together. We are no longer alone in our class, in our thing. She holds me accountable, I hold her accountable. We've become friends. The loneliness that she was feeling has been filled. We've all spent three years together. We've been allowed ourselves to be real. We've allowed ourselves to be vulnerable. Not long before the last session began, I sent out a note to all my classmates asking, what can I do to be a better friend to you? Don't ever do that unless you really want to hear the truth. I heard the truth. Some of it was not so good. (laughs) It was not all candy-coated. It was real. Because they felt safe talking to me and being real with me. Almost all of them responded. Some were encouraging. As I said, some were really hard to hear. They spoke of times that I failed them as a friend. And then they also spoke of times I succeeded as a friend. But the key thing in all of that, all the responses together, if I looked at them, talked about their loneliness, that when they needed somebody, maybe I wasn't there enough for them. Or maybe I wasn't really there. I was just kind of there. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, As iron sharpens iron, So one person sharpens another. That's what they did for me. They helped me to see what I can do to be better. Better at keeping people from feeling alone. I can be a better neighbor to my community. I can be a better neighbor to my church family. 
I'm working really hard at being better at living out what needs are for me, for my friends. I've bonded more with the people that wrote even the tough stuff. In fact, the one that I just became really good friends with wrote some of the tough stuff. But I appreciated her honesty. She appreciated my willingness to be vulnerable and to be accountable and to see what their needs were, not focus on my own needs. During some recent struggles in my life, I know I have struggles too. Y'all think I'm good, but I get them too. I've received notes, texts, and phone calls of encouragement, not just from my classmates, but from many of you who've said, I'm just telling you, I'm praying for you. I don't know why, I don't know what's up, but I'm praying for you. Others have to be able to see that we don't sit on our self-appointed throne. We're not elevated to a higher level. They must see that we walk where they walk. We live where they live. And we struggle with the same things they struggle with. They must see our vulnerability and our transparency. If you want to be, look at a perfect example of being vulnerable, look at David and Jonathan's friendship. Jonathan was a successful military leader before David arrived. Jonathan was going to be the successor to the throne. David was a threat to Saul's reign as king. Therefore, he was a threat to Jonathan. Jonathan didn't see David as a threat, though. In their first encounter, 1 Samuel 18.4 tells us, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and his sword, his bow and his belt. Now, you have to think about this. Jonathan's clothing and equipment was not everyday, normal things for soldiers. He was destined to be the next king. He was going to be the successor. And he was an incredible warrior. He had all these accolades. So he had finer robes, finer swords, finer things, royal garb. So for him to give them to David says a lot. He was elevating his friends above himself. Jonathan was being vulnerable with David. He was elevating David to an honor higher than his own. Beloved, we must be intentional with our neighbors. We must be intentional with our friends, our colleagues, fellow classmates. Whatever situation you are in, you must live intentional lives as followers of Christ. We can't just walk around the world going, eh, whatever. We have to be intentional. Our purpose must be evident in our lives. We must learn to serve others. Overcoming loneliness requires the sacrifice of ourselves, our time, our commitment, and our own needs. We must make an effort. It doesn't have to be much, but it has to be honest. Sometimes we just need to sit and listen. I mean, really listen. Don't listen to respond. Because you're not really hearing them. You're not hearing their heart. 
How often does someone say, hey, how you doing? And then they're on to the next person before you've even had a chance to respond. We all see it. We've all done it. We have to be intentional. We have to listen to listen. Now, Tom doesn't know I'm going to add this part. I didn't let him read it. (laughs) Years ago, Tom was listening to me vent about something, and he offered in his husbandly way to fix it for me. Just got me angrier. I got upset. I think I yelled at him. I don't want you to fix the darn thing. Just listen. That went on for a while before he finally said, you know what, I'm going to stop fixing it for her. She really doesn't want me to fix it. She just needs to vent. So now when I'm venting, he'll ask me, so is is this a venting time or am I fixing it for you? It has saved both of us a lot of frustrations and a lot of aggravation with one another. But he knows what I need. And if he doesn't know, he asks. He's my best friend. He cares more about my needs than his own. He heard me. He really listened to hear me. So now instead of trying to fix it, he just listens and then he asks, is this a fix-it time or are you just griping? He says, I'm just venting. So what can we do to overcome this huge, huge chasm that we call loneliness? The only way to defeat the enemy, because trust me, beloved, loneliness is an enemy. The only way we can fix this enemy, get rid of this enemy, is to help others see their value in Christ. We must serve others so that they are victorious in Christ. Mark 10.45 said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus set the example for us. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve others. That's what we're to do. Maybe you just need to knock on the neighbor's door and say, hey, I was thinking about you today, so I baked you some cookies. Or text. Texts are still okay, but you still need face-to-face. Don't rely on social media alone. But text your friend or call your friend and say, hey, in my prayer time this morning, you came to my mind. So I just wanted to call you and let you know that. Or you can call somebody and say, hey, you've been on my mind and my heart and I'm really concerned about you. I just needed to hear your voice. Because I guarantee the person on the other end of that phone is going to go, wow, I have friends. I have somebody that cares. That's how we eradicate loneliness. And we have to eradicate loneliness. It took my friend's life. Family and her friends are living with the outcome of that. 
We have to get rid of loneliness. And the way to do that is to be a good friend and a good neighbor. Neighbor doesn't necessarily mean the person that lives across from you. Being a neighbor can be someone that you met at the grocery store, somebody that you meet at Denny's, somebody that you meet at school. doesn't have to be the person across the street. For us, for Sawgrass Community Church, the neighbors here are the community. Think about the impact we can have if we just reach out to them. We're giving out the flyers to the neighborhood, announcing our once-a-month Friday night movie, free movie, free popcorn, free lemonade. We might just touch somebody with one of the treats. Maybe they'll look at that and go, wow, I got candy hearts. Somebody cares. Maybe that will be the bright spot in their day. If we didn't have the candy and and the goodies attached, how many flyers do you think would get read? Yeah, probably none. But we're giving them a gift. A gift. How exciting is it when you get a gift? Let me tell you, this morning, Kristen gave me a magnet. Now, it is so me. (laughs) But she gave me a magnet. It's nothing major. It didn't cost a lot. It didn't take anything out of her day except to say, oh, that's Deb. I want to give that to her. It made me laugh. It made me smile. It made me feel loved. Simple little magnet, and it brightened my day. Simple little candies distributed in flyers today is going to brighten somebody's day. They're going to say, wow, they care about me. Beloved, we must, we must be deliberate in showing this community that they matter to us. We have to be intentional to be good neighbors. So my question for you is this week, Who can you reach out to? Who can you remind that they are not alone? Can you think of somebody that needs a friend? Somebody that needs a reminder that God loves them? I'm sure if you think about it hard enough, there's somebody. But remember, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you something. Usually it's time. And it's going to cost you heart. We have an opportunity every day to be the light and love of Jesus. We must be intentional. We must love in ways that matter. It's the only way we can defeat defeat this sickness that's enveloping the world This sickness of loneliness. Loneliness kills. It destroys. It isolates people from one another. And it isolates people from God. Are you willing to be the friend that God has called you to be? Are you willing to replace the space that loneliness occupies and fill it with affirmation? Fill it with care. Fill it with love. 
Are you willing to be the person who Mr. Rogers asks, won't you be my neighbor? Heavenly Father, we just thank you today. We thank you for being who you are. We thank you for loving us in spite of who we are. We thank you for never letting us feel alone. Thank you for just being. We ask that this week as we go about our business and about our day that we never get too busy for you and to do your work. And I just ask you to put your arms around each one of our people here and just love on them, remind them that they're not alone and that we love them and that you love them and that they always have a friend. In Jesus' name, amen.